You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the grand, stuntin' you're destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam, put some respect on my name. Sick like a rain, click and I bang. Boys and girls around the world, I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. Now, on today's episode, we have got on a wonderful and inspirational woman. This is the one and only Martha Bueno. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on. It's an honor. No doubt. So, Martha, for people who are not familiar with you and what you do and what you're all about, please give us a little introduction. Sure. So um, my name is Martha Bueno, and I am running for county commission in Miami-Dade County, District 10. Um, beyond that, I am a mother of four and a, an entrepreneur. I started my first company when I was 17. I've been, um, I've been an advocate for several issues, primarily cannabis and uh, things related to cannabis and health. And now I decided to run for office because um, I'm kind of frustrated with how things are going here locally. And uh, to me, all politics is local and it's where it really matters. And yet um, we're so focused on politics around the country and not looking at our, our neighborhood and the things that matter here. So I decided to put my hat in the ring and here I am. Here you are. And what's the position that you are running for? County commissioner. It's basically the the people. There's 13 people on the Miami-Dade County Commission. We're the seventh largest county in the entire United States. And it's basically the people who decide where our tax dollars go, what projects get funded, and um, what our tax rates are. You know, those important things that um, we tend to overlook. Gotcha. And what is it that makes you want to even step into the murky world of politics? What fueled that? Um, frustration, to be honest, it, you know, again, it's not something that's sexy. We don't really talk about local politics and we're like, mm, I want to be a politician and I want to run for, for a local office. But as an advocate, I would go speak in front of the commissioners and you have two minutes to make a case in, in that you have to also give your name and your full address, including zip code. So it's, it leaves very little time to, um, make your case. And then on top of that, I noticed that the commissioners really weren't paying much attention to what we were saying. And they they would vote, no matter what evidence you would bring them, they would vote the way they had anticipated. So um, I realized that if I really wanted to make a change, it wasn't enough to just go and speak and, um, and give them the reasons why they should vote for or against something. I needed to get more involved and I decided to put my hat in and, and, and run for it. Um, you know, it, it's very frustrating when we see things happening in our own cities. Um, and Florida, very famously, we we stayed open during during COVID, um, except for Miami-Dade and Broward counties. Our 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 uh, mayor at the time, Carlos Jimenez, and uh, the commissioners decided to shut down all of our businesses. We needed, you know, paperwork to be able to work. Um, we tons of businesses went under here in Miami-Dade, small mom and pop businesses, while the big box companies were open. You know, Walmart, Target, they all got to stay open, but our mm -hmm. small 
restaurants or smaller stores all had to be closed down. And then now we're bringing in a lot of people from outside of Miami to bring in their investments and, you know, great things. But all of those stores, all of those people that had been supporting Miami for the last 20, 30 years or whatever, um, were left out in the cold. They didn't, they didn't get any help. They didn't get any, any tax breaks. They didn't get anything. Um, mm. and that's just the business side. I mean, I could tell you the personal side, uh, our taxes went up, even though our schools were closed, even though all of our services were shut down. And so how can you not, you know, I, how could I not get into it? That's, that's the way mm. I look at it. How can I not at least step up and try? It's a similar story all around the world. Um, that's what's happening on a local level in Miami. This has happened across virtually the entire Western world. I saw yesterday that the oldest pub in England has shut down as a result of the government's COVID response. This pub is over, get this, Martha, it's over 1,200 years old. It wow. was, th this pub was founded in, I want to say like 768, something like that. So this pub survived the Black Death. This pub survived over 1,200 years. World wars, you name it. Everything, all the wars, all the wars. But as a response to, I was just like, man, that is as like a single sort of identifier, like how tragic, how tragic is that? So this has happened across the USA, Canada, UK, Western Europe, Australia, New Zealand. It's it's truly crazy. Um, so Miami. in terms of your politics, you define yourself, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you define yourself as a libertarian. Is that correct? I am. And up until recently, I was a big L libertarian. I was part of the Libertarian Party. And mm -hmm. I recently left. Um, we had some disagreements, but my policies, the, the way I see things, um, I'm very much a libertarian. I very much believe in freedom above everything else. Um, you know, my parents are Cuban. I'm Cuban. Um, my father was a political prisoner in Cuba. And so to me, there's nothing more important than freedom. Without freedom, you know, you can't you can't pursue what you want to do. Um, and and my entire life has been based on this concept. You know, it's very difficult to watch your parents leave everything behind um, and come and start in a new country. And, um, you know, I didn't grow up with with my mom's parents around me. They they stayed in Cuba. I actually never got a chance to meet them. Um, I have a lot of family in Cuba. And so I'm very connected to that community. And it's it's such a huge contrast with the United States and what they can and can't do. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I'm noticing that more and more things that were very common in Cuban society and are starting to happen here in our own. Um, I, I also lived in Venezuela before Venezuela became communist mm. or socialist or whatever we want to call it um, before uh, Chavez came into power. So I kind of joke around with it, but it seems that communism or socialism tends to follow my family around from Cuba, then Venezuela, and now here in America. And I think it's it's really important that we at least have these conversations and we discuss, you know, um, Government loves to tell us that these are the things that we need and they want to protect us. And, they, and, and we know that that's just not the case. Government mm -hmm. has never been able to keep us safe. But the things that they sell us to keep us safe are, you know, taking away our freedoms. And we saw that, especially now with COVID. And I know you're a huge um, COVID uh, whistle. <laughs> I don't know. What are we calling it? <laughs> freedom advocate, liberty advocate. I just yep. believe everything everyone else claimed to back in 2019. I just, I stayed the same. Everyone else changed. I, I'm I'm there with you. I I agree. I, I yeah. think, you know, we've we've stayed steady, and um, sometimes politics keeps moving forward and towards one side or the other. So mm. I hope that um, people are listening to people like you making a yeah. difference, telling us about freedom. As an American in particular, are you surprised by how quickly? and willingly people across the country, not everywhere, but largely have given up their freedoms and their rights. Did that shock you in the same way it surprised me? Uh, yeah. I mean, growing up, I don't know if it happened to you. You're like, how do these atrocities happen around the world? And then now I'm like, oh, yeah, that's how it happens. Mm. Mm -hmm. People are, and, and people always think it, there's two there's two fallacies that I think have led to a lot of the problems that are happening in the West with the ongoing madness that keeps on 
going and going and these powers not being let go. And I think that number one is this can't happen here mentality, mm-hmm. right? So when you hear of whether it's Cuba or Venezuela or the Soviet Union or Germany, whatever, it's like, oh, that can't happen here. This is America. This is the UK. This is Canada. This is mm-hmm. Austria. That that can't that can't happen possibly here. Possibly happen right? here. No, yeah. no. Authoritarianism, totalitarianism. That's not us. We're about freedom, whatever. I think that's one part of it. And then I think the second part is it won't go that far mentality, right? So right. people thinking, oh, two you weeks to slow the two weeks to slow the spread, right? Like 15 days to slow the spread, whatever it is, flatten the curve, right? Like let's just do this. I'll oh, just wear a mask for a month. It's not a big deal. And then it goes further and further and further. And it doesn't stop until you're at the situation like you're seeing what's happening now in Canada. You've had these big uh, truck convoys going on just today. Trudeau announces some new emergency power, which is essentially like a wartime measure. And clearly none of this is about a virus. None of this is about keeping people safe. None of this is about even even the true believers can't even pretend that that's that that's the case anymore now. Going it's gone so truckers. far beyond it. They're going after truckers. I mean, mm-hmm. at what point is is the working class now being treated this way? I mean, wasn't this whole thing about protecting the working class? I don't understand how they're even justifying this. And now, you know, it's like we need to know where all of the money's coming from. So crypto, mm-hmm. you're on, you know, you're on the line too. I, it, it is scary. It is really scary what's going on. It is. And um, I'm curious to know a little bit more about your your story. You briefly touched upon the experience that happened with your parents. There was a tweet of yours, I want to say maybe about a year ago or approaching it where you talked about what happened with your parents and some of the story that I guess led to some of your beliefs and what you advocate for today. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Of course. Um, so my parents are my heroes, uh, especially my mom. Uh, my mom's wonderful. Um, but my parents, my father, some point in Cuba in before he became even an adult, realized that he had no future there. And so um, at about 20, he decided he was going to leave. This was back in the early, late 60s, early 70s. And he um, made his way to Guantanamo Bay and somewhere along the way got caught. And because they knew he was trying to leave, they gave him a six-year sentence, which Mm. for people who live in America, and we can just hop on planes and go to pretty much any country, I think that's such a hard concept. For myself growing up here, it was like, all you wanted to do was leave your country. You know, what was the crime? Why are you given six years for that? Um, So he got sent to a full jail, um, you know, regular lockdown type of thing for six months uh, where they were trying to change his mentality, make him see the, the error in his ways and accept Fidel and accept the revolution. And he played along with it. And for that, he was given um, the ability to go to work in a gulag um, in the work camps. Mm-hmm. My father was a farmer. And so this was perfect for him. He's like, yes, I, I done. And at six months, he got sent to this gulag to work. And then my grandmother um, decided that she was going to break him out of jail. And she planned the whole thing, found, you know, everything in Cuba is just so much harder than anywhere else. So you, she needed to find a car and drivers and gas tickets for the car that didn't match the license plate. I mean, again, this is communism. It's Mm -hmm. not like here where you can just go to a gas station and buy gas, right? You need to have the allotted amount. So she did all of this work. And then the day of decided she, she just couldn't do it. And my mom being 21 and having, you know, her husband in jail and a child at home was like, you know what? I'll do it. So she did. (laughs) She took up the plan. She drove across country with two men she had never met before in her life. Um, You know, had to have, she she tells a story and it's great, but I obviously can't tell it the same way she does, where Mm -hmm. she makes it to a gas station and the the person, the attendant realizes that that car didn't match the ticket. And she was like, kind of like almost like yelling like she was in pain or whatever. And they're like, oh, she's having a baby. Mind you, my mom is like really skinny at the time, like 21 year old. <laughs> she's like, I don't know where they got this, but they're like, yeah, yeah, go ahead. So um, anyways, makes it to the jail at the prearranged location at the prearranged time. And it was supposed to be my father and his cousin who were the ones that were in jail. And it ended up being my father, his cousin and about 10 other friends. And uh, she drove them off to the the next town over and then my father and his cousin to the town right outside of Guantanamo, where he hid for about a month. 
And then he went for it. And this time he was way more successful. He actually exited through an outhouse, like through poop. Yeah. Um, and made wow. it into the bay. I know. When he tells me this story, I'm like, really? <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad you did oh, that wow. for me. But um, ew. Yeah. <laughs> and so he made it out. He made it to um to the bay. And um I'm I, you know, I've never been there, so I couldn't tell you what it looks like, but apparently there's like a smaller island in front of Guantanamo Bay where there's a soldier or soldiers. And my father swam up to that and um, the soldier saw him, pulled him out of the water and said, welcome to America. And that's wow. how we made it. I know. I, I love this country. I have to say, um, mm. I am eternally grateful to America and I want to make sure that it stays just as free for the next generation of people that are stuck in places like Cuba, mm. where we need a place to go. You know, every time I think about what's happening in America, I'm like, but this time, where would we go? You know, it was so easy. Everybody in Latin America is like, I'll just go to the U.S. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What happens when the U.S. isn't the U.S. anymore? You know, yes. we need to keep America free, if not for ourselves and our children, for the world. I think this country is mm. amazing. No doubt. I, I say this to my American friends all the time. In fact, I just did a, did a speech a couple of days ago in St. Louis, and I was the only non-American speaker on the lineup. And, you know, I'm coming from the U.K. I'm not coming from some totalitarian hellhole or anything like that. But when it comes to, to freedom and liberty, I think, number one, because so many Americans never leave the USA. It's such a big, vast country that most people who are born here live through their entire lives. And maybe they travel around the US, but but they never leave it. You know, the furthest, maybe they might go to Canada or Mexico, but they they, they don't leave the Americas. And so when you don't have that sense of perspective, it's very easy to take things for granted. And I'm always hammering this to my American friends and acquaintances, which is that don't underestimate what you have. Like the USA, there's no other country like, like the USA. Even within the Western world, the USA is special in many ways when it comes to liberty, freedom, opportunity, when it comes to even just size and scale. I mean, I'm from the UK. UK is a, you know, punches way above its weight. But I mean, Texas is bigger than the whole UK. California is bigger than the whole UK. You have 50 different states. You've got, um, you know, you have federalism. You have all these ways of doing things. You have so much diversity, not just on the surface level on, not just on a surface level, but in everything, religious diversity, political diversity, diversity of talent, creativity, location, weather, population, everything. This country is just, it's vast, Massive. it's enormous. It has kind of everything. It's like all these com countries combined. And I think that when people are born in it and live in it just by default, they don't, they take, they just take it for granted. And I think that across the West in general, we've had such a long period of peace and prosperity and abundance, you know, more people dying of eating too much than not having enough to eat. Uh, to, give, to give an obvious example, there's so much abundance that people, uh, people lose that vigilance. They lose that vigilance. That's what I've found. So we're here, you know, screaming about freedom and liberty and whatever, and actually trying to enact it. Whereas other people, they uh, think, oh, well, that's that doesn't matter. It's not that important. You know, you're seeing people writing freedom, you know, with D-U-M-B at the end. You had the, the, your own president saying this isn't about your freedom. I mean, an American president saying this isn't about your freedom. Uh, red flag, red yeah. flag. Right. How did like, we get here? <laughs> yeah. People accepting all these things. You know, I grew up in the Middle East in Saudi Arabia. And uh, people hate it when I make this comparison, but it's totally apt as far as I'm concerned. You know, people always say, oh, it's horrible. You know, they make they make women cover their faces in public. And I, I look at them now and I'm like, hmm, mm, OK. Hmm. And they're like, oh, that's different, Zuby. You can't compare those things. It's like, oh, OK. So because <laughs> people I mean are pretending one is scientific. I'm like, look, man, it's the same. It's the same thing when you're advocating mm -hmm. for segregation where I grew up when I grew up in Saudi, they had. um. If you went to a restaurant, even a McDonald's, KFC, anything, they have two sections, right? It's segregated. There's the male only section and then mm -hmm. there's the family section. So, you know, women and families or, you know, whole families together are in that section. If you're a single man, then you are in the other section. I think they only changed that in 2018. 
of course, women were not allowed to drive. That also changed in 2018. So, you know, that's where that's where I grew up. I was kind of used to how things were, but I could look at it and I could also look at a country like the UK and the or the USA and be like, okay, like these are the differences. You have true equality under the law, equal treatment. You don't have segregation. I know that that existed in the past. You had Jim, Jim Crow laws and all that stuff. But in the modern West, these are all values and liberties and freedoms that are unique and special. And one of the most disheartening things for me over these past two years has just been how quickly and recklessly people have been willing to jettison this. I mean, you've now got places, oh, you know, you can't come in, you can't enter this restaurant, you can't come to the cinema, you can't go to the gym because you haven't done this thing, you can't do this. And I'm just, you know, cover your face in public. You're just trying to walk out, you're just trying to, you know, you're in the airport, you want to go to the supermarket, you want to just go to a mall or whatever, and they're, they're forcing you to, to muzzle, muzzle your face, you know, because science. And not only we won't even get into the, the science part, but, <laughs> um, but from a liberty angle, right? It's just like, what on earth is going on? This was never this was never done before. And it's not just that the government is pushing it on people, but other people, citizens are pushing it on each other and they are acting as the enforcers and knowing history. That's the, the real scary part to me. That is the real scary part is how quickly we went from mind your own business to oh my God, my neighbor isn't wearing a mask while outside, even though they're not endangering anyone. And, and you know, it's a, I hate using that word, but it's a slippery slope and it happens mm. so quickly. And I lived through this one time before. So I lived in Venezuela from, or back and forth between the US and Venezuela since I was nine days old until I was 15. And um, I lived there before, again, before what we see now in Venezuela, before Chavez came into power. And, you know, but but I lived through a, a coup that happened on Carlos Andres Perez, who was the president at the time that I was living there. And I remember my father, I was a child, but we're a teen. And I remember my father would go around to people and be like, oh, I've seen this before. Like, this is not good. It's going gonna, it's gonna to happen here. And people would be like, you don't know what you're talking about. This is Venezuela. We have more oil than anywhere else in the world. We have mm -hmm. vast riches. We've got everything. You don't understand. That's never going to happen here. That can't happen here. Can't happen here. And now we Venezuela, it's true. It has the largest oil fields of anywhere on the planet. It beats Saudi Arabia. And so it, when you look at these countries that, yes, they don't have these freedoms, but they also have vast wealth and, you know, they're able to do it. And then you look at Venezuela and you're like, what do you, what's going on here? Why can't you guys pull up the oil that you have? Why can't you use it to improve the lives of, of the people that, you know, live here? And you realize that it's all about the governments that control all of it. And so the oil reserves in Venezuela belong exclusively to the government. Mm -hmm. You, if you, my father's farm in Venezuela, back when we had it, we no longer have any interest in Venezuela. He had oil on, on his property. Um, we had a rig, but that part was cordoned off for the government. The government were the only people allowed to come in and, and collect the oil and, and take care of that. And that might be lead to some of it. I do think that, you know, government being in charge of, everything is a bad thing. Mm -hmm. um, and you see it now, you know, they, they don't even have the resources to pull the oil up. So people are legitimately going hungry. And, um, you know, and that's, of course, there's so many issues. I, I, I don't want to even um, get in there. But we in America have all of these freedoms. And we're so quick to be like, well, government will take care of me. Mm -hmm. And it seems that we don't learn the, the lessons from history. We don't learn what has happened when we've, in the rest of the world, said, oh, it's okay, government will take care of me. Cuba is a great example. And, mm -hmm. and it's brought up all the time, and it drives me crazy. The two big things that people like to talk about of Cuba is, A, the United States embargo on Cuba and how it affects it. Um, and then B is the fact that, you know, but they have this wonderful health care and they have um, no illiteracy because the government and and meanwhile, both of those things are false. Uh, there is no health care in Cuba, at least not for the regular people. They can't get anything on the island. And then they have a huge problem with education. Um, government is not here to take care of anyone. And it, it's it's frustrating that we're at this point where we just don't seem to understand that concept. Government is not here for your benefit at all. It never has been. It never will be. And so I don't know how they've managed this campaign of like um, a PR campaign where now we're like, oh, the government's going to take care of this for us. The government's going to do this. The government cares about me. It's protecting me. 
I hope that COVID is that wake up call for people. I hope that they see how, you know, we followed the science, but the science wasn't always accurate. And we didn't even have the opportunity to say, hey, it's great that you believe that, but I don't. And I'm going to not do those things because I don't mm -hmm. believe in them or because I want to wait or because whatever. Instead, we've demonized people. And I I'm having a hard time reconciling these this America with the America I've known and loved my whole life. Yeah, it, man, there's so much to say there. I think things change really quickly. Things can change so fast. And I think that anyone who's been paying attention throughout this past two years will now have a lot of questions answered about questions perhaps they used to ask about history and certainly the last 100 years of history. I think we all used to look at certain situations, especially when we were younger, and go, how did that happen? Why didn't anyone do anything? Why did so many people go along with it? How come people just complied? Why, why would you do that to someone? All of these things. And then not saying that the final results of this are going to be, you know, thank God, are going to be uh, anything close to some of the totalitarian regimes we've seen in the past. But what we can certainly compare is the, is the psychology and the mindset and the power of fear, the power of mass compliance, um, the power of having a proposed single solution to everything and what happens when, as you said, people just look up straight to the government. And, you know, because if, if you expect the government to take care of you, then you are outsourcing, you're outsourcing your thinking, first of all, right? Mm -hmm. Trust the science, follow the experts, like don't think you're not supposed to think. You've had articles and prominent people coming out literally telling people, don't do your own research. Don't think, don't ask questions. Don't do any of this. In fact, if you ask questions, you're a bad person and we're going to stick a nasty label on you. Um, but also it's outsourcing that responsibility and accountability. Something that's blown my mind throughout this whole thing is the absence of conversation about actual health itself, right? We're both people who are into taking care of our health. We were doing it before any of this, before it was trending. Or during before. and after. <laughs> yeah, ex exactly. And there's been no conversation. There's been no messaging about, okay, how about we, you know, obesity has been a pandemic, an epidemic in the USA and many Western countries for the majority of my life. And it keeps getting worse and worse. Biggest killers are cardiovascular disease, followed by certain types of cancer, um, which some of which are largely affected by obesity and other health issues. And we know even with this particular virus itself, who is it particularly bad for? Besides people who are elderly, it's people who are heavily overweight, people who have diabetes, other comorbidities. Where was the messaging? Was there any messaging at all suggesting, even suggesting people should lose weight, saying people should exercise, get sunlight, eat better? It was all the no, opposite. We it gave the, them the nuts. We gave yeah. them donuts. Yeah, it was the opposite. It was, it was, oh my God. How did shut we down the gyms, there? stay home? Yeah. They, we shut down the beaches in mm -hmm. Miami. We were like, mm -hmm. oh, you can't be at the beach. Vitamin D we know is essential to your, your health, yes. to staying healthy. Where do you get the best vitamin D? Outside in the sun. And yet we mm -hmm. close down all of our parks. Mm -hmm. You know, that, it, and it, children are resilient, right? We always say this. We're like, children will recover and children are resilient. We, we've, I, as a parent, I would never um, make my kids sacrifice for my health. I feel yes. like it's it's something that I'm very passionate about. I think that I've lived my life. I'm still young, but I've I've lived a life, and their lives have to matter more than my own. Mm -hmm. That's why I became a parent. And to see now how we're like, kids have to sacrifice. They must wear masks. We have studies now that are showing that children born during this time. Um, because of the mask, they're not seeing faces. We can see, I think it's a 12, uh, I'm sorry, a 20 point difference in cognitive um, abilities from children born even before this. Wow. It is affecting kids in an abnormous amount of, of just things. Um, kids who, who needed therapies that weren't getting mm. it, you know, all of these things. We, how is Spe it possible? Speech development as well. Yes. Yes. Mm. Socialization. I see mm an increased number of anxiety, even amongst my children and their friends, you yeah. know, anxiety now amongst kids is at an all time high. We yeah, haven't even right. started discussing suicide um, in this country and suicide before 
um, this pandemic was, mm-hmm. was at an all time high and it was mm-hmm. it was scary how many people were being affected by their circumstances and their, yeah. you know, and now it's worse. And why aren't we talking about this? Why are we giving people donuts to it's, go get a vaccine? This, this is of- the thing. It's it's the singular focus on one thing, right? Nothing matters. Nothing has mattered for the past two years besides COVID. And I think that there was a huge philosophical question that was never asked in this. If you think about this, Martha, in all in all of these different countries for the past two years, we've society has been running under the assumption that COVID and COVID-related uh, deaths, illness, hospitalization is the most important thing in society. That has been the implicit agreement that we never agreed to, right? It's more important than every other cause of death. It's more important than human rights. It's more important than civil liberties. It's more important than uh, cancer, mental health, physical health. It's more important than children's education and well-being. It's more important than the economy. It's more important than your business and your ability to run it and to feed your family. It's more important than everything. If you think of the way everything has been going, that, that's been the assumed assumption, mm-hmm. right? I'll be having conversations with people and I'm like, wait, let's take a step back. Who decided that the most important thing is COVID? What about what about everything else, right? Why are we throwing everything else out the window for this? I mean, leave besides the fact that the policies have not even been effective, but even if they were, who, you know, when was the agreement that this is the one metric that we need to try to, you know, whether it's cases or it's even deaths, like who decided that that's the only thing? And people are like, oh, well, Zuby, you know, this virus has killed 5 million people worldwide. I'm like, bro, in that same time frame, in an average year, about 60 million people die. Mm-hmm. 60 million. So in the same time frame, so let, let's give that number. Let, let's assume, okay, 5 million is the real number. Firstly, to frame this, 120 million people worldwide, approximately, died of everything else. 120 million, not a peep. Nobody cares. Nobody's interested. People don't even know that number, right? 120 million. And also average age of death. So in the UK, the average age of death with COVID was around 82, which is the same as the average life expectancy. And some people are like, oh, are you saying elderly people don't matter? Of of course, I'm not saying that. Of course, I'm not saying that. I have elderly family members. Ideally, it would be nice if, you know, they could stick around forever. But that's not life. Like all human beings pass away. Before 2020, we were not, we were not immortal. No. No, elderly people did die from things. People die from the flu. People die from colds. People die in all sorts of things, diabetes, various things. Some of them are avoidable or it can be delayed. Some of them are not. Some of them are very tragic. Some of them are just, you know, peaceful passing. But we, I think we, there's a really, here's another thing I think that's happened in the West. And I think been part of this response has been a very uncomfortable relationship with illness and death. Mm-hmm. I think people have become you know, life is absolutely very, very precious, but I think people have become so detached from the reality of our own mortality that, you know, because you, you've even heard it from politicians that, you know, if it saves one life, right, we'll do this and that and that and that. And if it saves one life and it's like, well, we don't approach anything else like that. We don't. I mean, we don't approach and, anything like that. And with health. So we're so worried about somebody passing away from COVID that we're willing to risk it all. And yet nobody's ever died of cannabis, but yet we'll put people in jail for it. So, I mean, and it has saved lives. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say that there's all this research because we're not allowed to do it, but there's plenty of research showing that cannabis may potentially help with a lot of conditions. And yet we put people in jail for that. So it's not about our health. And if we're going to say it's about our health, then what about cannabis? You know, I don't think that we're really thinking uh, this through. And I have to say that to your point on the elderly and, you know, my mom, who's um, okay, I won't say her age because she'll kill me. But, um, <laughs> you know, she, she you was got to die or something, Martha. Yeah, I, you know, she's, she's up there. <laughs> Listen, she broke my dad out of jail. Okay, you yeah, do not want to. Yeah. You do not want to make her mad. I, but um, during COVID, at the very beginning, I was scared. I was looking at stuff sure. happening in China, and I was like, "Oh wow, my mother lives in my house," mm-hmm. and I was really scared. I was one of the first people that pulled the kids out of school, and I was, you know, really worried. 
And at some point, a few months in, she sat me down and she's like, you know what? I'm going back to work. And I was like, no, you can't go back to work. You're going to die. And she was like, I'm going back to work mm -hmm. and I'm going back to my life and I'm going to go live because this is my last years. I don't know how long I'm going to have. And my last years, I'm not going to spend it here stuck at home. I'm going to go mm -hmm. live my life. And that's when it hit me. And I was like, yeah, she know she gets it. She gets what's up. <laughs> that's another that's another thing that never happened, right? Because all of this stuff was under the guise of protecting the elderly and the vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Did they ask for that? Right? Did someone go around and interview and poll all the elderly people in the UK and the USA and Canada and say, wait, okay, are you are you okay with your children and your grandchildren and even your great grandchildren who may not even be born yet? Are you okay on all with all these effects and impacts for them to experience all this to maybe, maybe reduce, maybe reduce your risk of this thing by, I don't know, 5% realistically, right? Maybe. Um, not guaranteed, but perhaps. And from the, a lot of the elderly people I know, I think this answer would have been a resounding no, don't, don't, don't do all that, right? I can, if, if I'm concerned, I can, I can stay home. Yeah. I can do this. I can do that. I can take these treatments. I can take these precautions, but the entire population does not need to adopt this behavior and make these gigantic sacrifices under the notion of protecting people such as myself. So that's another big conversation that that never happened. Mm -hmm. And I've spoken to you know I'm sure maybe there are I'm sure there are some older people who you know would say yes we want everyone to make these sacrifices. But I don't think it would be the majority. And I think I struggle to think of another time in history where young people, including literal children, have been expected to make such gigantic and enormous sacrifices because the adults are scared. You know, ch children are not one of the huge silver silver linings of the Rona has been <laughs> the doesn't <Rona>. kill kids. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it doesn't kill kids. And we've known this from early. I mean. How tragic! This thing would have been truly. We'd have there a real, real different perspective. Who have passed? There are some, but it's mm. the very minority, and they did yeah, have yeah. other conditions. When, when, so when I say, I, I, I mean, yeah. it's extraordinarily rare. Right. Extraordinary. We're talking like I last time I checked, it was something. We're talking like one in a million yeah. kind of. It's a very one in a million number. kind of odds. Yeah, and mm -hmm. again, if you compare it to other things that people do not even worry about, the flu. Then yeah. The flu kills children. The flu is a terrible disease. We've mm -hmm. lived with it, I don't know, my whole life. I don't know how long it's been around. But yeah. um, the flu kills years, a lot of people every single year. Mm -hmm. And yet we don't act like this. We don't wear a mask. I mean, they do in some countries. In Asia, if you're sick, you wear a mask. And I mm -hmm. think that's a wonderful thing. We, I hope we've all adopted that behavior. If you're sick and you absolutely have to go out somewhere, wear a mask. I think that's a great behavior to have. Protect other people from what you have. But this whole thing where we force everybody else to wear a mask, especially people who aren't sick, sick. What, <laughs> what are we doing here? You know, yeah. why are we forcing healthy people to get treatment for something that they don't have and act like they have something that they don't have? You absolutely mm. can't get COVID from somebody who doesn't have COVID. Yeah. Yeah. I've made this point many a times and people, people say, oh, you're not a doctor. I'm like, bro, if I need to be a doctor to explain that you don't, can't get <laughs> I'm not a politician, but I'm running, you know? You don't always yeah. need that politician. <laughs> so, Martha, I'm, I'm curious to know a little bit more about um, – so you, you've been very, very critical, critical of government, but you also want to get involved in some of it. So if you were to get involved in it, what are some of the policies and ideas that you would be, that you would be advocating for? So again, going back to my libertarian roots, um, the position I'm, I'm running for is one of finances. The commissioners in Miami-Dade County, they control pretty much everything, your, from your taxes to where money gets spent, which policies, which projects get spent, and they control you know, pretty much everything having to do with Miami-Dade County. Again, we're the seventh largest county and our budget exceeds $9 billion. Just to give you a, a little comparison, El Salvador, which is all over the news now because of Bitcoin, their entire budget for the entire country is $6 billion. Mm -hmm. So that goes to show what a little county like Miami-Dade uh, can do, right? We, we have a huge budget. And um, one of the things that people may have noticed now over COVID was that our taxes went up despite everything being closed, despite our children not attending schools, despite all of these things, our taxes went up. That's my primary focus. That's one of the reasons I decided to run was because 
Um, you know, when I had my first son, I was 21 and I went to live with my grandfather. My then husband and I went to live with my grandfather. We weren't financially well off. Um, that was before I built, you know, I had started a company with my mom, but I, it wasn't, I didn't consider it mine. And so I moved on from that and started one myself, but I was living with him and he told me, just take over all the payments. You know, I don't pay me rent, but just take over the expenses. And I was like, great electricity, you know, food, the insurance on the house and property taxes. And that's mm -hmm. when I realized somebody like my grandfather, who was on a fixed social security, you know, uh, payment, he didn't have access to any more money. He had made it to this country very late in life. And um, his payment, his tax bill was over $2,000. Now his social security check was about $900 a month. Mm -hmm. So from there he had to pay all of his expenses and still have money left over to pay $2,000 for a house he had paid off years before. He had been very good about it, paid it off. And what happens if he didn't have that money to pay for it? Well, the county will eventually take your property. Mm -hmm. They'll just take it from people. And this is something that's been on my mind for a long time. Right now, our property taxes are at an all-time high. We stuck people in their homes. We took their businesses from them. You know, the elderly, we've taken services from them. They haven't been able to see doctors or, you know, their transportation is is much worse than it was before this transport before this this uh, COVID issue. And yet we're still charging them more and we're kicking them out of their houses if they don't pay. Mm -hmm. Now, this is a rent to Miami-Dade County. It's it's not the purchase price, you know, and I know that in England things work a little different. You lease I think your property for 99 years or, I mean, it's not the same in America. You're supposed to be able to buy your land and it's yours. Mm -hmm. It belongs to you. A little asterisk next to it, except for if you don't pay your property taxes mm -hmm. and then the, the county can just come in and take it and sell it to the highest bidder. And you're left with nothing. I think this practice is beyond cruel, especially then I started looking into our budget and going, okay, well, you know, we do a lot of great things. We pay for education and we pay for, you know, the homeless and we pay for all of these things. But when you go into the budget really, and you look at the things that we're doing with this money, you know, we're, we're telling people, if you don't pay your property taxes, you're going to lose your home. And then we spend this money on Yes. nonsense yeah a lot <laughs> and yeah. it's it's beyond frustrating and i i can't just sit around and and at least listen there's a very high probability that i won't make it into the seat i'm running against an established politician and that means something because they have the ability to raise money they have the ability to reach out to a base they have an ability to do the things that independence just it's not the same right mm -hmm. we're not on equal footing. I'm, there's no way I'm going to raise the same million dollars he's raised primarily because I won't take it from a lot of the companies that want to give me that kind of money. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm only accepting money from, from people who believe in what I'm doing and um, want to see it happen. I, I don't want to owe anybody anything. I'm pretty much self-funded up until now. I want to, when I get there, be able to say, this doesn't work. It doesn't work for people. And that's why I'm just not going to do that thing that these people want me to do because they gave me money. So I'm trying to keep it, you know, that way and 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 do run a campaign that's different from what everybody's seen. I'm, I'm not going to to just collect a lot of money and throw ads at the person I'm running against, who I'm sure is a... At the end of the day, I'm sure he's a wonderful human being. He actually lives across the street from me. So okay. I'm going to see him well beyond <laughs> this race. And I have no intention of speaking ill about him. I'm sure he's mm. a wonderful human being. I just, what are his ideas? Because that's at the at the end of the, the day, that's what I'm hoping to, to do here is at least get people talking about the issues that matter and looking at it in a different way. Miami-Dade spends a lot of money on our homeless population, for example, a lot of money. The Homeless Trust is who we give this money to and they manage it for us. And I think the um, overall number is about $20,000 per homeless person. Okay. And yet our homeless are, you know, don't have access to a lot of services. But then you look at who's running the, the, the homeless trust and it's the largest, um, I don't know how else to say it. He, he's uh, the largest lobbyist in the state of Florida, at least in Miami-Dade County. That's who has the contract for the homeless mm, trust. Okay. And so, 
you know, there's a lot of corruption. There's no way to say it that's that's polite. So I'm just going to go out and say it. There's a lot of corruption, and nobody's really talking about that. We're, we're we focus on other issues. We focus on the national stage. Meanwhile, people are losing their homes to pay for these services that they're not even getting. You know, it, it's a sad state. We're basically telling people you deserve to be homeless because we're going to help these other homeless people over here. And meanwhile, in that exchange a lot of money goes missing. Mm -hmm. You know, another simple example, um, and I know you asked me for specific policies, but um, I think I need to explain, you know, the the general idea of what's happening here. Um, Miami-Dade has had a half a penny sales tax for over 20 years. We've collected $3 billion. And the whole purpose of that was to improve our infrastructure. Now, I know you've been in Miami, Zoe. Were you able to take um, public transit? I didn't even try. Right, because we don't really have a good system. We don't have trains. We don't like, there's a lot to be, to be desired, right? We, mm. we definitely need a better uh, public transportation and we don't have it yet. We've been collecting the money and spending it on whatever these politicians want, which is not transportation. So again, it just goes back to, I think we need somebody that knows how to fix things or at least attempt to fix things and not for my benefit. I am not mm -hmm. here to, to enrich myself uh, from the seat. Uh, I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. Every single dollar I've made, I've made it myself. And, um, you know, I, I'm a product of two immigrants. It's not like I was born with a silver spoon in my mouth. My parents came to this country without a, in well, my dad's case, he didn't even have the clothes on his back because again, mm -hmm. he went out through an outhouse. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah my parents started from nothing and, mm -hmm. and so have I, and I, I want to use my skills to help my community. I hear that totally. Before you were talking about the proper role of the government, what? <laughs> how do you see? How do you see that? We've talked about what it's not supposed to be, but what do you deem as the proper role of the government? And you can even split this on a national or federal level in the USA versus a state or city level. How do you perceive if the government is to exist? what is the, what should it do? What's the right, what's the correct purpose? Yeah, I'm going to split it on my imaginary utopia of okay. liberty. You know, I think that we should have the smallest government possible, but then I come into my reality, right? We mm -hmm. all live in a city of some kind in and in, in we have to have some at least general understanding of what's to happen here. So right now we have a general understanding that we pay taxes and then the government gives us services for these taxes. So we can go either which way, right? Either don't collect any taxes from me and we'll take care of our own fixing of the roads, picking up our own trash or charge it, but then actually do the job. And mm -hmm. that's where I see, you know, I, I differ from many libertarians in the sense where they call it, you know, and Kapistan or whatever. And this is this, <laughs> this mythical village where we're all just going to do what we need to do. And we don't actually need government. We're just going to mm -hmm. magically, we're going to snap our fingers and we're all going to get along and we're all going to be able to do it. So I differ from that. I think there is a role for government, especially local governments, um, you know, services that we all need, trash collection. I've lived in Venezuela. I know what it's like when you don't have a trash collection that everybody takes care of. I, I think there's some services but again, if they're going to charge us, give us what we want. I mean, I think the government should be, imagine if Amazon ran our government. That's what I would like it to be like. I want, you know, if we're going to be paying for this service, we're paying for a government prime, then give me government prime. Make yes. sure my, my trash is collected. You know, make sure that our streets don't have holes. Make sure that our things are working, functioning, that we have actual transportation that would work. That would be great. And so on. So my reality is... Let's make it as efficient and as cheap as humanly possible because people mm -hmm. deserve to keep that money that they make in their own pockets. We pay taxes when you make money. We pay taxes when you spend money. We pay taxes on uh, if you buy a house. We pay taxes if you rent a house. We pay taxes when you go buy food, you know, on some foods. We go, you know, if we're a woman, you pay taxes on, on products for your menstrual cycle. I mean, at what point are we going to stop? We pay taxes on gas. You pay taxes on everything when you travel mm -hmm. pay taxes um, when a family member dies inheritance are there i don't know if there are death taxes i know yes. there are in some places yeah, yeah we definitely have in the us okay. so yeah you you pay taxes all the time 
And so while libertarians say taxation is theft, which I just, I, I just thought of the concept of a death tax. I've never even really like dwelt on that one. Like what on earth? Like <laughs> how did they get away with that one? And the crazy thing is, is if you plan accordingly and you have the right attorneys, you don't have to pay that because then you put your money into a trust and you do all these other things. So it's only really a tax on the poor or the poorly connected. Mm -hmm. I did real estate for a little while and, um, and the, the, the real estate I was doing was probate. Um, people would pass away and then uh, their homes would go part of a probate. Uh, the judge would decide and there was a lot of like infighting if parent if you know people didn't have a will then their children or you know people that were like oh he promised this house or whatever and i saw you know so much of that money getting eaten by taxes by the whole thing is just it, it's sad it really yeah. is I, it it soured me on this whole concept of you know I understand why people think we need a death tax. It's it's a weird concept. People don't want uh, the next generation to get too much of a benefit, I guess. But at the same time, if you made that money, mm -hmm. it's my right to leave it's, it to whatever and, I and want. Also, even if you are even if you are a tax advocate, it's already been taxed multiple times. So it's not even just like a double dip. This is like a quadruple, qu right. quintuple dip. And now with inflation, you're being taxed yet again. Yeah, exactly. And you have no control over it. It's a, it's a stealth tax as well. Yeah. No, I think we, we share that similar perspective being both libertarian leaning people where it's like we have that. Because um, the thing is, the regardless of ideology, the way it currently is, is the way it currently is, right? There is a There's an established system and structure and understanding that the majority of people have accepted willingly or begrudgingly right so you know we we both know people who are 100 percent pure anarchist and they're like look the whole thing top to bottom it all needs to go and i'm like okay bro i i hear you i hear you also look this is where we are this is reality mm -hmm. this is reality so i'm also in that position of i think a lot of taxes are complete nonsense and you know tax in general I, I'm largely on the taxationist theft train. Um, however, <laughs> I'm like, look, if if we're going to be being taxed and we we currently are for the time being, then that money should go to the right places, yeah. right? I we should have a stake saying, look, you're taking this much money from me every year, every day, every week. So yeah, give us. Give something, us some value. Yeah, give us something in return, right? Don't don't waste this on whether that's nonsense foreign wars or it is just you know blowing it on parties and private jets or it's you know what whatever it is in in different in different areas and different countries they blow the money in quite different ways. Uh, you know, my family background is originally from Nigeria. In Nigeria, you know, some of the politicians there. You can clearly see where the money goes, right? Like, mm -hmm. oh, oh, you, you see, you see. What's we that? always talk. We talk about places like Nigeria, but you can okay. see it here too. Yeah, you can. The thing is, <laughs> I, I, I've made this point many times, which is that there's corruption everywhere, mm -hmm. right? People have this idea: oh, stuff in the developing world is is corrupt, and in the the developed world, it's it's like no, it's just more slick here, right? It's more slick. It's not the police are stopping you on the street and directly asking for bribes or or the politicians happens for Americans that don't know it does happen it happens all over the world yes. um in Venezuela if you got stopped by police mm -hmm. you better make sure you have some cash on you yeah exactly it happens in <laughs> happens in much of South America it happens in Mexico it happens across Africa don't do that in the US um, yeah no that you won't see that but there's corruption on a different level it's more it's more it's obscured kidding. there's a couple more layers to get you know to where, get to to where it is Exactly. And, you know, back channel it. Um, there's a lot of money that the United States pays um, with my work with Venezuela, for example. I, I didn't realize that we're supporting a lot of these regimes. The United States gives money to Cuba. I mean, we talk about an embargo, but then the United States actually gives humanitarian aid to the government of Cuba. We do it to mm -hmm. Venezuela as well. And so we are on one side, we're like, oh, communism is bad. This authoritarian regime is bad. But here, take some money and keep doing it. Yeah. So, uh, and most people don't even understand these concepts, don't even know. One thing that I have been talking about quite um, vocal in the recent days, um, I'm also really big into crypto. Um, mm -hmm. 
you know, specifically Bitcoin and Monero. Um, but the Bitcoin conference just invited a Cuban national, uh, somebody who was part of the Cuban regime onto its stage. And this is something that I don't think most Americans think about or talk about, but this is how it kind of happens. They almost give a stage or they don't almost, they give a stage to these people who are responsible for atrocities. And then we almost normalize it. Oh, well, cool. Look, this Cuban's coming to Miami, the largest diaspora of Cubans in the world, mm -hmm. to come talk about a platform that is basically going to uh, allow remittances around the um, shutdowns that they have in Cuba. But what's going to happen in reality is the Cuban government is going to keep the Bitcoin that we send and give Cubans this worthless currency called MLC, which is moneda libremente convertida, which is the it's a digital coin that Cuba came up with so that you can buy from government stores. Oh, this okay. person who cre created this and calls himself the CEO, which is not true because in Cuba, nobody is able to own their own business and be a CEO, is coming to the Bitcoin stage. And so at the at the very beginning, when I first heard about it, I reached out to them and I did speak to people um, at Bitcoin Magazine, who's the you know, who puts on the show. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, we had no idea. And now it's been almost two weeks and they haven't said anything and they haven't rescinded his invitation. Um, you know, they're already under criticism because of Nayib Bukele, the um, president of El Salvador. Now, he's not the same as in Cuba. He's not a dictator. Mm -hmm. He is very authoritarian on some issues. But the same thing is happening over there. The um, strike wallet, I think it's called, does the same thing. It keeps the Bitcoin being sent and gives people a different currency. Um, you know, a little bit, to, not at the same degree that it's going to happen in Cuba or is already happening in Cuba. So we legitimized Nayib Bukele with this conference. Mm -hmm. um, and, and there's some responsibility into that. We, we have to be a little more conscious of the things that we're doing and the people who we platform and give a stage to. I'm not in favor of cancel culture by any means, shape or form. But the government of Cuba has 45 children and I call them children. They're 15 to 17 years old, 45 currently in jail and serving up to 20 year sentences for peacefully protesting. Mm -hmm. I mean, how are we giving somebody who's a part of that regime and, and, and Eric Garcia, who is coming to the Bitcoin stage, he's the one I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. he, he served three years in the Ministry of the Interior, which is the head of the secret police in Cuba, of the G2, of all of these um, secret services. So we're we're platforming somebody who's in line with this government who has these children, these children in jail, part of over 800 that are also in jail for that same reason. Mm -hmm. I just, I can't wrap my head around it. Zubi. I can't get how this isn't a bigger issue. I get that. People aren't outraged. I think so one of it is an amount of knowledge. I also have an, this is an interesting point because with someone like that, I don't know all the ins and outs, but based on what you've said, I'd have a question is with something like that, would the correct answer be to rescind the invitation or to grill them, challenge them, right? Bring up all this stuff. I think if you, if you platform them and it's just, there's no, there's no questioning, there's no, um, other side or challenge then I think that's one thing. But with people like that, I often wonder maybe the best thing to do is give given they've already put out the invitation and everything, I would actually advocate that perhaps the better thing would be, okay, people have voiced their concerns around X, Y, Z. This is what's going on. Challenge and grill this individual, make them answer questions, make them explain themselves. I think the platform in itself is not, you know, I don't, I can understand why people think giving someone a platform is is legitimizing them. And this is the you know, but you know, this is the argument people make about, you know, certain university speakers or people who go on certain podcasts and stuff like that. I've had this before. Oh, you're legitimizing this person by having them on their podcast. It's like, no, I'm I'm trying to find out what they're about. I'm questioning them. I'm challenging them. If it's someone who I genuinely think their ideas are objectionable, I'm not gonna just like sit there and nod my head and be like, Yeah, 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 that's that's great. It's like, no, this is a this is a problem and here's why people have a problem with it. So generally I would agree with that. I would say okay. he could come here and we could challenge him. He's I've actually challenged him on a Twitter space. Okay. Um, we've actually had a conversation. He doesn't answer the questions up front. So okay. in him being challenged, nothing's going to change. He does the politician think, thing. 
yeah, he he's really good at it too. And then he'll just like, reflect <laughs> and tell me that I'm just dumb or whatever. I mean, it, okay. it was fine. I I don't care. Um, but the I think the bigger issue here, Zuby, is this is the Cuban capital of di the diaspora of of Cubans who have had to leave it all behind because of this government. Mm -hmm. And you're going to bring him to a stage in our city. Mm -hmm. This is a slap in the face to most Cubans. If you ask Cubans how we feel about this, they're all like. I can't believe the Bitcoin conference would even do this. Mm -hmm. And so my big concern realistically, and I have voiced it to um, to the conference themselves, is I don't think you understand what it means to bring a communist to Miami. You're not going to, it's not going to just be like, oh, we're all going to be excited and he's going to go on stage and we're just going to ask him a few questions. Excuse me, sir. Um, expect protests. Expect yes. blockage of people not letting people get to that stage because I don't, I don't know how else to frame it, Zuby. We've sixty-three years of communism. I never have, I, like, I never was able to go home and 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 meet my family, meet mm -hmm. my grandparents. I, everything was taken from us. Forget about the money. The money is not even important. You know, my family had uh, uh, my my parents came from from middle class families in Cuba. That's not the important thing. The important thing is what they've done. I have family members who faced a firing squad. There are close to 6,000 people in the history of the last 60 years of Cuba that have faced a firing squad for just being against their government. We have people in jail for simply protesting right now. And then this application, because there's no privacy, because it's not an actual person to person, what it does is take Bitcoin and give people a visa type of card with money on it. The Cuban government is going to get everybody's information. This is so much more than just a, oh, the Cuban government is now going to have control of people's Bitcoin. No, they will also have their information. Mm -hmm. And the biggest problem is Cuba is currently in the process of reorganizing and, and adding new laws. They have decided as part of law, I think it's 143. Um, it, they are now deciding that if Cubans receive money from somebody like a remittance, for example, and they use it for what Cuba considers anti government activity so let's mm -hmm. say you post something on twitter or it's it's crazy how much this is sounding like canada right now right honestly yeah. or america where we want to know up to six hundred dollars what you you where you got your money what you're going to do with it so you know this is going to affect people there's going to be more people in jail more people repressed more people hurt more people killed because of this application so no i i get that he needs to be challenged but this is so much bigger. This is about life and death. And, mm. you know, somebody has to stand up and say, no, he's not welcome in our city. Our mayor, the city of Miami mayor, not the Miami-Dade County mayor, the city of Miami mayor, Francis Suarez, mm -hmm. he's always on the news because, you know, he's bringing in Bitcoin and he's he's going to be on that stage. And I reached out to him. I haven't yet heard back, but I don't think he understands. If he gets on that stage, I don't see any Cuban ever being able to support him in any way this conference by giving the this person a a stage they mm -hmm. are in 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 some way complicit with the regime and that's where i don't think they're understanding how we as a community who has put uh, you know we we left cuba and we're all i think i can speak for the vast majority of us we're grateful mm -hmm. we're grateful to this country and we're grateful to the city mm -hmm. this city maybe it didn't necessarily want us here, but it accepted us here and we've built our homes and there are uh, over a million Cubans in Miami currently. Um, Cubans who just got here, Cubans who have been like me, I was born here, raised here. Um, and and I think that, you know, you have to realize that these positions of power that we're asking people, please trust me, I am going to do this for you. We also have to take that and understand where people are coming from. And if we don't take a stand against something as important as this in our own city, who's going to do it for us? And that's why people vote and, and want us in these powers so that we're paying attention. So we're saying, this isn't going to happen here. We're not going to have a full-on communist who's mm. proposing a platform that's going to hurt people in Cuba come here mm. and we're going to give them a stage. And I don't I don't see any other way. I, I really think that it would be good if we could have a conversation, but... So how do you challenge someone like that then? Um. That's a good question. I'm going to keep insisting that the Bitcoin conference rescind his invitation. I think mm -hmm. that's the only solution here that's going to work. And in the meantime, um, talk about it. You know, mm -hmm. I think more people need to understand. I think even a lot of Cuban Americans here in Miami 
aren't really paying attention to Bitcoin, so don't really know what's going on. I'm sure as it gets out there, I'm definitely not the only person talking about it. Mm -hmm. There are some pretty big influencers that have been uh, speaking out about this. So I, I, I hope I hope we make some waves. I hope we figure, you know, we figure it out. And I hope we don't get to the point where we're actually protesting or blocking because that would be terrible. And I, I, I don't, I love the Bitcoin conference. I'm <laughs> Please don't make me not go, please. <laughs> <laughs> Martha, it's been amazing talking to you. Always, always a pleasure for people who want to find out more about you and follow you online. Where's the best place for them to go? So I am on all social medias as at Bueno for Miami. Bueno for bueno, Miami. F-O-R Miami. Got it. Martha Bueno, thanks for coming on the Real Talk with Zubin podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the grand, stunt me and destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam, put some respect on my name. Sick like a rain, click and I bang, y'all gonna remember the name. Y'all gonna remember the name. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.